Good evening and welcome to Bleak or whatever time of day it is when you are listening. Um, this week we are going to cover the murder of Sonia Ivanoff, uh, an indigenous woman who was murdered in 2003. Um, Amanda will be uh, reviewing this case and uh, here we go. Things are going to get bleak. 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 <laughs> okay, take it away, Amanda. Okay, so as Laura said in our intro, we're covering the murder of Sonia Ivanoff, and I have wanted to cover a missing and or murdered indigenous woman for quite some time because it is a very big crisis as they would say yes in uh in terms of the statistics in uh especially america in particular and we both have husbands with indigenous ancestry that is true yes my yes. husband is about 11 percent Actually, yes. my husband is, I don't really know 100% for sure. Well, Zoe on her ancestry, Zoe like, is Laura's daughter, is about 5%. So, so he's probably on 10%? par. Yep. Yeah. All the same. Something like that. I don't know. So, anyhow, <laughs> we ourselves are not indigenous in no. any way. No. But our husbands are and our children are um, right. a little bit. So, yes. and I'm just going to say this now. For some reason, I get the word in, indigent and indigenous mixed up. Oh. Which isn't good because it is not. indigent is not a very nice term. Now, the reason, so there's a movie in the 90s called The Client. It was a John oh, Grisham sure. film. Yes. And yes. I loved it. It was one of my favorite. I always loved courtroom stuff. Even yeah. from the time I was a young kid, I've always liked this kind yes. of stuff. Yes. And, sorry if that, I bumped the microphone. Mm. And in that movie, he refers to the little boy and his mom as being indigent. And so for whatever reason, that term has always like been ingrained in my head. So I, I try not to offend anybody. Right. So oh if I, hopefully I don't like slip and say that by no. accident. If you do, you shall delete that because that would be very unkind. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's probably a non-issue. Um, I did actually talk to uh, somebody I know, a Native American woman, and I, I said, you know, I'm going to be doing this podcast. Do you have a problem with being referenced? Because there's a lot of different references. There's Native American, there's Native, there's Indigenous, there's Native Alaska, which obviously would only apply to Alaska Native, or Alaska right. Native. And she basically said any of the terms I just mentioned would be fine in her book. Right. So... Right. You know, I I apologize if there's a you know more up to date reference, but my goal is never to to offend anybody. Right. So with that being said, um, just to before I get into the case, real quick, I just want to talk about some of the statistics regarding Indigenous people and specifically women. Um, so two percent of the American population is Indigenous people. So you can deduce that about 1% is indi indigenous women in particular. Right. Right. Give or um, yep. 
90% of American Indian and Alaska Native women have experienced some type of violence in their life. Oh, that's a um, high statistic. And so the most striking statistic that I think kind of just says it all, um, and I got a lot of these from Minnesota because that's where we live, but I think a lot of these, what applies to Minnesota applies to the country, really. I mean, it's kind of across the board. Right. Um, so they make up one per and indigenous women make up one percent of the population, but they are eight percent of all murdered women. Yeah, that's so. If you look at what the statistic proportion, right? Exactly. Yeah. What should the statistic be? You know, obviously there shouldn't be a murder statistic at all, but that's the world we live in. Right. So if there were no biases or stereotypes, that statistic should be about one percent, right? Right. But it's eight percent. It's eight times higher than what it. "Quote unquote should be like right. that's um, just trying to wrap your brain around that. It's striking. It is. Um, it just gives you an idea of how that population is seen in our society, and it's it's just awful. And then um, another thing I ran across. Um, so some of these are from a few years back because the statistics take years to come out. Um, and then there's issues with people that there's not enough people like researching. Right. what's actually going on because there's just a disregard in general. Right. But um, so in 2016, there were 5,712 reports of, um, this is just in Minnesota, of missing, or no, I'm sorry, in the United States, of missing American Indian and American Native girls, or um, Alaska Native, sorry. And um, of the... So when someone is missing, they present it to like a district attorney or a prosecutor. Right. Yeah. And in um, sixty-seven percent of the cases presented to prosecutors, they opted not to um, to prosecute. Oh. oh. So that's a huge issue too, right. because when they do report it, the right. likelihood that something's going to come of it that it's going to result in a conviction of somebody, a perpetrator, is very slim. Right. So then that perpetuates it worse because then you have these people that are committing these crimes, they, they, have an, they know this. I right. mean, they might not know that statistic exactly, but they right. know that they're, the likelihood... They're likely that, to get away Exactly, with it. and yeah. that's a huge part of the problem. Yeah. And especially in terms of like sexual abuse and sexual assault... There, you know, it's going unreported for this right. reason. Well, right, because the 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 um, victims also know that likely nothing's going to come of it, and then they're going to have to live with this person in their world. You know what I mean? So, yeah, if they report it, so it's and it's a risk. Very sad. It's, it's a, a risk, risk for a them risk. too. Yeah, it's a um, risk to report it. So you know, some of the stereotypes. Unfortunately, you know, lazy, drug addicted, alcoholic, um, and that's you know part of the reason that unfortunately people that stereotype leads to people seeing them as as throwaways, and um, not and we and we could have a whole episode about just just this part of it, just right. the statistical yes. part of it. So, you know, I, I'm not going to go on and on forever, but. Um, well, another thing I came across, and this will be like the last statistical thing I'll talk about, um, is the f 
so when you talk about you know alcoholism within Native American communities, right. a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, yes, there is a higher rate of alcoholism, but a big part of the reason is because, um, and I actually took a screenshot of what these, so there's a chemical in our blood that breaks down alcohol. And Native American people biologically have little to none of that particular chemical. So what happens is this, there's a biological reason behind the fact that they have a higher rate of alcoholism. Right. And so really what, you know, they, they need mental health care, they need addiction care, they need that. And instead of that, they're just getting seen as being bad people. And right. the stereotype gets perpetuated. And it's literally caused by something biological that they have right. no control over. Right. And so then the increased rate of, so if, for example, a white person has two beers, they might not feel anything. A Native American has two beers and they might be falling down, stumbling drunk. Right. And it's because of the way that their bodies are wired, unfortunately. Right. And so different, um, that plays a huge metabolic. Yeah. It's a metabolic pathway that unfortunately is, is, uh, different right and um so then that leads they have you know a high risk of diabetes uh kidney disease liver disease and so these reservations end up in these like horrible states because nobody is helping them appropriately right and that's playing a huge role in the problem so i'm not trying to be insulting i'm just talking about like something that they completely have no control over right um and so anyway, we could, like I said, we could have a whole show on that, but um, that's just some of the stuff I came across when, uh, you know, statistics about indigenous. indigenous people and women in particular. Um, so we can start the case. Um, so again, the, this is the murder of Sonia Ivanoff, and this actually takes place in, in Nome, Alaska. So a couple things about Nome. It's a couple of degrees south of the Arctic Circle. It's a very, you know, weather there is really harsh, gray, gloomy. You know, it's Alaska. Right. Um, their town slogan is, there's no place like Nome. <laughs> and just for some perspective, it's, it's closer to Russia than to the rest of the U.S. Right. So it's, okay. so you know, it's, it's remote. 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 Um, population, Isolated. I don't know if this was at the time of her homicide or currently, but I have is 3,800. Okay. So by... Our standards, that's a small town. Right. But by Alaska standards, it's actually not. A big town. It's like a city right. for them. Right. Um, so Sonia was only 19 years old when she was murdered. Uh, she was, uh, basically, she had graduated high school, and she was in Nome trying to make money because she had, did want to attend college. Oh, sure. Um she eventually wanted to move somewhere warmer. Um, so her best friend was a girl named Timory. Okay. Um, and she, Timory is also an Alaska native woman. Okay. And, um, they said they wanted to move to Hilo, Hawaii. Well, that um, sounds delightful. Yep. That's where that was their goal was to get to Hilo, Hawaii. Yeah. 
she called it Hawaii, and at first I'm like, Hawaii? <laughs> then I'm like, oh, Hawaii, duh. Like, Hawaii. <laughs> Some people do call it, like, Hawaii. Hawaii. Well, it kind of makes sense because of the way it's spelt. Right. So, right. I mean, and maybe that is she might be right correct. Right. I'm, I could be wrong, and right. she's correct. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, they were both, uh, Timory and Sonia were both from a town in Alaska called Unicolite. Unicolite? Unicolite. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And it's, uh, Unicolite is 50 miles southeast of Nome. Oh, so really in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Of As a matter of fact, to get from Unicolite to Nome, there are no roads. How do you get there? You'd have to fly. Or like or snowmobile? snowmobile. They call it, we call it snowmobiling. If other, they call, they call it, it snow machines. Snow machines. And you know, you know what was really funny about the word snow machine? I have to end to say no, this. Yeah, go for it. So back when I worked for a banking organization, we used to get calls in all the time um, from Alaska. And they, they would say, talk about their loans or whatever, and they'd, and their snow machines. And in my head, I'm picturing all these people with machines that create snow. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I was thinking a snow machine was. And I kept thinking, why in Alaska <laughs> would you need all these snow machines? But it turns out they were all snowmobiles. Yeah. So. I think I don't think a lot of states call them snowmobiles, but that's how I've, I've like we live in Minnesota as we've said a hundred times, and that's how I've always heard them referred snowmobiles, to snowmobiles. Until always. I started watching something on TV and they said snow machine, and I'm like, what's a snow machine? Because <laughs> it does. It sounds like like a ski resort would use a snow machine to produce snow right. for like their ski hills. That's or, what I was thinking. Like why? And I kept thinking, geez. Everyone has a snow machine in Alaska? I kept thinking, that's really weird. Yeah, this like, doesn't make a lot of sense. No, but now, yeah, once I found out they were snowmobiles, it really clicked for me. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Sonia was the fourth born of six children. Um, and her, it seemed like of all her siblings, she was very close to her older sister, Christina. Oh, okay. And Christina's been interviewed a lot in the coverage of this case. She seems like a lovely, lovely lady. Yeah. Um, and just a little more background on Sonia. She was um, kind of, so she participated in this Arctic Native Brotherhood pageant, which is not like a typical beauty pageant. It's something she did to make money for college. So oh, sure. I don't know if it like involves like archery and different like wildlife skills. Oh, sure. Um, and she was working at the admitting desk at the local hospital in Nome, and she was working overnight shifts. Okay. Um, so she moved down to Nome, and then her best friend, Timory, ended up leaving Unicleet and also moved to Nome to become roommates with Sonia. Okay. So the two of them were had, like, they showed the place they were living in. I don't know if it was, like, maybe a... It was very modest, like a duplex, maybe. Oh, sure. Um, or an apartment, but I th it looked to me like a house that had maybe was divided into multiple oh, apartments or something. Or something. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, they did not. Neither of them had a vehicle, which wasn't super uncommon in Nome because it's not a big. In, in terms of like the square mileage of the town itself, 
it's a place you can easily walk around right. to the various establishments. Right. Um, and they all, you know, they all reported in the uh, research I did that they felt really safe, you know, walking in Nome even at night. Right. So it was a pretty safe type community. Yes. And um, so Christina, which is uh, Sonia's sister, is married to a white man named Tom. So that would okay. be her brother-in-law. Okay. And her brother-in-law said, you know, he, the the crisis amongst, you know, missing and indigenous women was something he worried about and thought about. But he said, you know, and he even said he said something to Sonia about, because they were living in Unicleet, and then he knew she was moving. Right. So, of course, he was concerned about, you know, wanting her to be safe. Because yeah. he was like, you know, I don't, won't even know. He goes, you know, if something did happen to you, I wouldn't even know who you're hanging out with or right. anything. And right. so he tried to kind of warn right. her, but she kind of didn't feel like, you know, she just didn't, it wasn't at the forefront of her mind. Right. It's a town of 3,800. It's not like she's moving to New York City. Yes. You know, but but it is a I don't know for them it's a big yeah I mean change. yeah so the just kind of getting into the time right around her disappearance happened um, so like the day before she disappeared uh, Timory and Sonia went to a friend's house and they were playing board games and they didn't go till like eleven p.m. Okay. Now, this happened to be on a Sunday night. However, Sonia did not have to work on Monday. Okay. And she actually did not need to have to work until Tuesday at, like, 3 p.m. or 5 p.m., sometime in the evening. Oh, sure. So, even though, you know... It was, like, her weekend. So yeah. Like, she had yeah. she worked at a hospital, so she had an odd schedule. Right. Um, so, the sun does not set until around midnight in Alaska at that time. Right. So, um... Like, this is summertime in Alaska in 2003. Okay. So, at 1 a.m. on Monday morning, so Sunday night into Monday morning, uh, Timory, for some reason, decided to go sleep at a friend's house. So, they're at a friend's house playing board games. Yeah. Sonia was saying she wanted to leave, you know, not for any, not because anything was going wrong. She just wanted to go. Right. And Timory was, was yeah, yeah. Timory was like, I'm going to sleep at a friend's house. But because she had to work at six a.m. Oh, okay. So so she was gonna be up in five hours. Right. Because this work. part to me is a little strange because I do find that scenario. that she went to wanted to go to a friend's house because we come to find out she actually ended up going back to their apartment in the morning before oh. she went to work to like get ready. Was she, was this a male friend? They didn't get into that at oh, all, so okay. I really so don't know. Really it, it ends up okay. not really being pertinent anyways, oh, but okay. it just was a little strange. Yeah, so Sonia and Timory were walking outside, yeah. and then they... So Timory was going to go to this friend's house, and Sonia didn't really say where she was going, but she was walking towards their house. Right. So I think Timory just assumed she was probably just going oh, home. Right. Um, so Timory and her had to part ways because they were going like opposite directions. Right. So she said they had this little handshake that they did, and they kind of said something like a like along the lines of "peace out." Right. And that was like yeah. their, their little later. thing. Yeah. And then um, 
Okay. So she, they part ways, and yeah. she said, you know, she sees Sonia kind of walking towards their house. Right. Um, but never said ex- explicitly where she was going. Right. So Timory stops home at 5 a.m. to get ready for work. Now, I would imagine that would be because, like, her products are there. Like, if she wears makeup, mm-hmm. um, maybe she needed to change clothes. Right. Um, so, I guess, I mean, in that a sense. fresh slather of deodorant. Yep. You know. <laughs> that makes sense in that regard. Yes. But it kind of, I just thought that was a little strange. Like, why would, I don't know, to me, like, why wouldn't you go get that the night before or yeah, but whatever. But that, it does kind of make sense to me. I mean, it's I mean, not incriminating. Especially if it was a male friend. I mean, not male necessarily, but you know what I mean? Like That might have been why she didn't want to get into right, it. Right, yeah. But, you know, if it was a romantic friend and then you, um, you know, in the morning you need to fresh up. Yeah. You know, you can't just go to work that way, you know, the way that you were the night before. I mean, that makes sense to me. No, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, And she had a 6 a.m. shift. No, she referring to Timory, at the Aurora Inn, so one of the local hotel hotels. Oh, sure. Um, so Timory did not hear from Sonia at work that day, but she wasn't alarmed by that because sometimes she would hear from her and sometimes she wouldn't, so right. not a big deal. Right. They're young. They're you Yeah, know. they're 19. Right. Um, so Timory did call Sonia's sister, and... Um, once she got home from work because she she was like still not super concerned but she just was like curious if she had seen her right. and she had not or heard from her rather because her sister's in Unicleet. right um and she said you know i haven't but she they all knew she didn't work until tuesday afternoon right so they were at that point they're like oh she probably just went to to somebody else's house right but then once evening came you know, Timory became more concerned because, and she said this was a huge deal in her mind, um, she never stopped at home to get, like, her, all her, like, uh, cosmetics were, right. she could tell hadn't been used. Right. And apparently she was one of those people that always had to have her hair done, always had to have her makeup done. Right. And she wouldn't just be, like, walking around without any of that. And she right. said that was... That was actually the red most, flag. the yeah. biggest red flag for her. Yeah. So, um, uh, so at this point she hadn't missed work yet though. Okay. So on Tuesday around noon, so Timory hasn't seen her now, um, all day Monday. So right. she goes back to work again on Tuesday. And now that she, t- uh, since Sonia never came home that previous night, she's, getting more concerned right so she called the gnome pd to see if sonia had been arrested right thinking maybe that was what happened maybe and of she course was drunk and yeah they were like no you know but no that was not the case they hadn't seen her so at around five fifteen on tuesday um she, she finds out that uh she hadn't shown up for work at the hospital right so at that point she's very that's concerned. Not, that's yeah. not like her. No. And it's just like one of those things, like even if she's going to miss a day of work, she's going to she call. call. Exactly. Right. Um, so Nome PD is a historically white police department in terms of the personnel that works there, the officers. Which, if they've got a high population of indigenous, I mean, shouldn't the police ref- force somewhat reflect yes, the community? I they mean, should. You, you would think. But okay. um, I believe at this point 
there was maybe one or two Alaska Native officers. Okay. Now, granted, it's not a big police force. Right. So that's but yeah. um, just in general, Nome has been historically a white police force, okay. just in its history. Sure. Um, and they have kind of a history of not taking reports about Alaska Native women seriously, and that has to do with like their statistics on um, crimes that get reported against. Native American or Alaska Native women sure. that actually end up going on to be like result in arrest and prosecution. Their right. their stats were pretty bad. Okay. Um. So Timory goes to the police department and she try she's trying to explain the situation because she's feeling like they're not really taking her seriously. They're right. like, oh, she's just out partying, that right. type of a thing. Yeah. Um. She's young. She's sowing her wild oats. <laughs> her wild oats. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's pro. I mean, I, I, I think that any missing person should be taken seriously, unless it's like the ninetieth time they've done it. And, yeah, you know, like that, that that, yeah, and she didn't have any history of right. anything like that. Right. Um, and it so it didn't seem like they took her seriously. Timory said, finally, um. One of, not a coworker, but her manager at the hospital, was so concerned by her doing a no call, no show, right. to work that she ended up contacting the police department also, right. and that was kind of that helped. what helped them take it more seriously. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, um, so. Yeah, like she, she she had a good attendance record. So. Right. Christina and Tom, which is her sister, uh, Sonia's sister and brother-in-law, went to, there was this guy named Kunik, um, who they knew had, like, a crush on Sonia. Oh, sure. So, Tom, the brother-in-law, went to the police department asking if they knew where Kunik's camp was, and, um, because he thought, he wanted to, like, go talk to him, and apparently he camped in different areas. Oh, um, sure. But the police would not give him that information and basically oh. told him they were not concerned. Well, if this guy, I mean, wouldn't you want to at least talk to him and ask him? Like, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. So, um, so after, so then the manager, like I said, eventually calls and, um, that's when they actually started like a more proper investigation into her disappearance. Okay. Um, so, they first go talk to Timory because she lives with her, and they just ask her some general questions about, you know, her mental health, if they argued, that type of thing. And they said, you know, she was like, no, nothing like that. There right. was no arguing. She was not suicidal. Nothing, nothing like that at all. Right. So the next day, which is Wednesday, um, the fire department was asked to join the search, like the volunteer fire department. Yeah. And one of the volunteer firefighters decided to go down a road that normally people don't use, but he could tell someone had gone down the road. There were like Recently. tracks there. Oh, sure. And he unfortunately found Sonia's body. Oh. And she was found in a very secluded area. It was an old gold mine. Oh. Um, so this was about 8.30 p.m. on the... So she was last seen on basically Sunday night. 
and this was on, she was discovered on Wednesday around 8.30 p.m. So she may have been dead for a while. It could have been a couple days, yeah. yeah. Um, she was naked, <laughs> completely naked. Her, um, yeah. she, was, she was actually, it was the Dredge 5 Road is what it was called. Okay. And uh, her clothes were not at the scene either. So the Alaska Bureau... They took her clothes? Yeah, which is... We'll get into that as well. So the Alaska Bureau of Investigation um, actually had to come do the processing because Nome wasn't used to processing murders, for one thing. And it actually took the Alaska Bureau of Investigation time to get there. And the guy they interviewed was joking. He said, you know... They talk about solving these murders in the first 48 hours. He said it might take us 48 hours to get to the scene. Right. To begin even looking at the scene. Yes. And so the Gnome PD was taking shifts guarding the crime scene until they could The proper authorities could come. Exactly. So, um, and even the, the guy they interviewed who was from the the Bureau of Investigation, he said that, unfortunately, it can be a good place to commit a murder for that reason. Right, it's so remote. nobody's going to be, you know, the evidence has a long time to be kind of sitting there. Right. Um, so the crime lab is based out of Anchorage, which, yeah, which makes, makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that's about 500 roadless miles from Nome. Oh. So they had to fly to the scene. Right. Wow. Um, so when they got there, um, they had like an evidence technician come and then uh, an investigator. Right. So the evidence technician said there was a pool of blood by Sonia's body. Right. She could tell that there were tire tracks by the body that she thought were likely left by the perpetrator. Sure. One thing that was very significant is the treads on three of the tires looked different than the rest, indicating that oh. the vehicle had three of one kind of a tire and one of another. Okay. So that's a very unique characteristic. Most it is. people don't have that right. type of tire arrangement on their vehicle. <laughs> right. um, so that's important because it could eliminate a lot of vehicles right. being you know, related to the murder. Exactly. Another thing was there was a paint transfer on some of the tree branches indicating... Uh, a vehicle such as a truck or SUV had driven through and then that paint had transferred like onto the branches and it was light blue in color. Okay. So they could deduce they're looking for a blue vehicle or truck or SUV with mismatched tires. Okay. Um, That helps. I mean, that's, it's something. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. It's more than you get on some cases. That's for sure. So again, she was nude except for she had one sock on. She had bruises on her face and chest, and she had a single bullet wound to the back of her head. Oh. So it was clearly a homicide. There was no no, uh, questions (laughs) about that. So they they did interview family and friends. She had no obvious enemies. Right. Um, So when Timory had gone to the police station before, they had asked her to write down a list of, of friends that, you know, any acquaintances that she knew that uh, Sonia had. She said they just told her to write a list. Right. And so the one person that kind of stood out was that Kunick guy who they said had a a crush on her. Right. And he also, Kunick, when they looked at his criminal, uh, you know, his 
criminal past. Right. He had a record of domestic violence issues okay. with his current kind of on and off again baby mama. Right. Was kind of how, like, um, and he was known to kind of have a temper. So he was seen as a person of interest. Oh, yeah. Then the police He, learn- like, checks a lot of boxes. Yes. You know? Then they learn he yeah. drives a blue truck. Oh, that so doesn't that help him. Not at all. Nope. And then, um, oddly, this truck had three of one tire <laughs> and one of another. Well, things aren't looking that, good for Koenig. <laughs> that's very good. circumstantial. Yes. That is, Did that, I mean, it is circumstantial, but it is... Like it's compelling. It's it is compelling. You're yeah. right. <laughs> Circumstantially compelling. I like that. Yeah. And I did I mention Dan uh, Kunick's real name was Daniel oh. Ang Angusik. Maybe saying that they wrong. They just called him Kunick. Yeah, for okay. some reason. Okay. Um, and I guess Sonia like was good friends with him, but she just romantically wasn't said a... it wasn't her type. Right. Um, Sonia was five eleven. Okay. So. He was seemed like he was maybe a shorter guy. Maybe okay. that was part of the reason. Right. Who knows? Right. But they had like a friendly relationship either way. Right. Um, they knew each other, but not like that. But the whole thing with the tires and the paint color, the police were very suspicious. Uh, yeah. Of him. I'd say, yeah. That... Um, so they did, you know, in the meantime, they held her funeral service at her old high school in Unicleet. She was a star basketball player there. Oh, wow. Um, her sister, it was really sad, talked about um, doing... Her sister did her makeup for the funeral. Oh. So she would look like how she looked, you know. Yeah. Um, how she liked to have it done type of a thing. They weren't the only people in the high school? No. They weren't. Okay. The, I guess Sorry, there was a this. big... Like, a lot of people attended oh. given the how small the town is yeah so the um besides that paint transfer and those tire tracks there was really no usable forensic evidence found at the scene oh. like again the clothes were missing there was no foreign dna right nothing under her fingernails the rape kit was negative oh just to like a that that's that is tough did that was so no dna nothing so the, like just a lack of evidence in general the little evidence they had, of course, did point at Kunick. So right. police took his truck, yeah. and they get his truck, and they find blood drops on the floorboards oh. of his truck. Right. They pull a tarp out of the back of his truck. There's dried blood all <gasps> over. Oh, oh. And there's they, they use a agent similar to luminol, which if you're not familiar with luminol, it shows blood. Why didn't they just use luminol? I don't. I think their luminol is the one everyone's familiar with, but in actuality, from what I've heard, they use. It's not the one they most commonly use. Oh, okay. I think it's they for whatever reason that's like a brand name that people are familiar so with. So then they just always say luminol, even right. though it might not actually be luminol. Right. Okay. Like, okay. and that's not the name of the chemical compound. It's kind right. of like if you think right. of like a medication has. Um, like Prozac is fluoxetine, right? 
It's kind of like that. Or Tylenol is acetaminophen. Right. But, and you might say, I'm going to have a Tylenol, and it might be an off-brand acetaminophen. Right, it might not really be a Tylenol. But you're calling so it a Tylenol. this is like a similar deal. <laughs> okay. In my, that's yeah, how I see yeah, it that anyway. Yeah, makes sense. Yes. Um, I'm not, you know, an investigator or anything of that sort. I mean, no. I think I am. <laughs> but I'm an... <laughs> we both think we are. Um, yeah, we, and... Uh, we do, we do have some ways that we could really be... I think, you know, you look at, yeah. like, women in general, you know, they say there were better than the FBI in certain ways. <laughs> so. There might be some truth to that, yes. yes. So anyhow, um, back to Koenig's vehicle. Yes. So there's blood all over the tires. Or so things are really pointing to Koenig. He's got three he's got... rifles behind the driver's seat. Oh. One has blood on the butt end of the rifle. What was he doing? There's obvious Jeez. blood on his white Adidas tennis shoes. Okay. So the state investigators start testing all the blood evidence, which obviously takes time. That yes. doesn't, you know, it's not overnight. Right. Um, so another officer, while that testing was taking place, went to interview him. Right. Um, Kunick was adamant that he had not seen Sonia in at least two weeks. Okay. He reported the day she went missing, he was 70 miles outside of Nome. Oh. So. Did he have an alibi? Um, he was hunting with friends and they could corroborate his alibi. Okay. Um, one thing they noticed is he had a pretty good scratch on his back. Ooh, okay. He claims his baby mama inflicted the scratch. Oh, Okay. And they did take Kunick to the hospital, like, for a full-body exam with a nurse. Yep. And they um, towed his vehicle to the police station, right. you know, to be inspected more thoroughly. I might have already said that. Right. And they tell Kunick about what they found in terms of the fact that there was uh, the paint transfer. They had seen yep. that similar color paint and about the tires on his vehicle. Right. And he really, in terms of that, he's like, I really don't know what to why, tell you about why, that. Yeah, like that's, why there are these similarities. He's like, I don't he's know. He's got to know in his head how bad this looks. Yes, you know? it does like, look really bad. Yes. So they ask him about the blood, because right. of course that should be something he should be able to attest to. Yeah. And he says he ran over a rabbit and that did not die. Uh-oh. And so... Oh. In order to, like, show mercy, he intentionally ran over the rabbit again. Okay. Um, but, but then, okay. he, like, a day later, he calls the police back and he says, actually, I remember, like, why I have all this blood. And he goes, I ran over a porcupine. Oh. And then I ended up having to shoot the porcupine. So the... The police are like, okay, buddy. They're like, this seems like an out there type story. You forgot that you... About the porcupine. About the porcupine, okay. Um, So they're like, this has got to be the guy. (laughs) Right. There's no way. But they're waiting for all the results because they have to. Mm -hmm. Um, So about a week after Sonia's murder, her brother-in-law, Tom, that we talked about a little bit earlier, he went into the gnome police department and he had been going there every morning just showing up and kind of saying like is there anything new right um 
like, we haven't like forgotten. family members would, you would expect yeah. them to do. And he's a white guy, so I think, unfortunately, given the way it is with them, or it was at the time, I should say, because this is back in 03, he, I'm sure, you know, he felt like as a white person that might have more of an effect than her native sister going sure. down there. Sure. He didn't outright say that, but that was just kind of, unfortunately... The impression what you picked up on. yeah yeah um and he said so he goes over and he puts a picture of sonia on the wall he was like just i don't want you guys to forget about right. her and he said the officer that happened to be there at the time like just yelled to, at the top of his lungs at him for doing oh. that he said we just got new drywall oh my god and who cares he was just super angry and demanded Jeez. that tom leave the police department but he what? continued to go every day anyway. Right. He but, was I mean, what? That's that reaction is that bizarre. That is a bizarre reaction. And I know that over time, police officers can get um, kind of numb. Desensitized. Right, desensitized, yeah. kind of numb. Like, you know. And, and you can understand that in that line of work to a point. Right. But that's over the top. Well, I always say to like fake it till you make it. Right. Like right. I worked as a nurse for 12 years and there were days where I wasn't in the mood to like be a certain cheerful way. Right. But you fake it. <laughs> you do it. You know? Anyways. Right. It, yeah. And these are victims families. You have to have compassion. You yes. have to, in order to do that job, you have to have some, to compassion. some extent. You yes. Do. Right. Um, but unfortunately that's it wasn't the case. Not, not always the case. Right. So, some time passes, and they start getting results back about Kunick's truck. Right. All the blood on his truck comes back as animal blood. Oh! All of the blood. <laughs> um, so he the tire tracks, the even though he has mismatched the three, mismatched with the one, Yeah. they they do not match the tracks at the scene. It now, another wow. thing to tell you is the one mismatched tire, if you look at the sequence, you know, you've got the... the the front driver side tire, the front passenger side tire, the one mismatched tire actually was the same mismatched tire as the tracks. Oh my god! Like, how unlucky! So, <laughs> but the the tracks on his tires did not match the tracks at the scene. Which I mean, unlucky for him because he was a suspect. But at the same time, it really distracted from them finding going and looking well, they, for this they, other they, person exactly yeah um the paint also did not match exactly like when right. they compared it right. and they actually found the dead porcupine oh, that kunik geez. had told them about but it's so funny that that he didn't remember it right away then yeah. and then he but he was so honest that he called back and he's like hey yeah also, the porcupine. And they actually so, went oh. out and found the porcupine in right. like, this vast area. Well, I bet he was just terrified, well, though, yeah. thinking, oh, they've got a lot here. Because although, you like, know, a lot of people, like like Timory was describing yeah. him as being like, she's like, oh, he's just a teddy bear underneath. Right. Like, he had some domestic issues with his girlfriend, but she, the girlfriend, you know, to be fair, was violent also like right. she scratched him and they got into these altercations it, was like it wasn't necessarily like exactly it yeah. wasn't like he was like picking on this little girl like right. it was both of them they were yeah it was just toxic relationship yes yeah. um so he was cleared i mean essentially okay. that okay. that really clear and he was willing you know he went down willingly to be looked at at the hospital right 
he, you know, to me, it's like if he was hiding a murder, he wouldn't have just left all that blood on his car. No, you know, he would try so, to clean it up. And I he mean, and he obviously did not. Right. So, um, about a week after the murder, only two of the eight Nome officers remained on Sonia's case. Those okay. two officers were Byron Redburn. Okay. And he had been the one to interview Kunick. Right. And then another, so, and then the other officer was a native officer named Brian. So there's Byron and then there's Brian Wayavana. Okay. And he had initially responded to the scene. Right. Um, I have here that he was the only native officer on the force. So oh, okay. that must be. That might be the case. Um, the only reason I questioned that, because later they had shown a picture of one of the other officers, and he kind of looked native to me. Right. But the information I have here was that this Way of Anna was the only one. Okay. And he ends up being important in kind of cracking the case. Okay. Um, and, and I'm thinking, though, there's only so many people in this area. Well, yeah, that's true. Yes. Did not did none of these people know somebody else with that this color of a truck? I mean, like, and these wheels. I mean, I just can't. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into okay. that. Um, so, Wayavana, so like I said, there's only two. This has only been a week since she's been murdered, and they already right. have only, like, six of the eight officers are not on the case any longer. Right. They just, that's how small their police force is. Like, eventually they, have, they have to move on to other things. Right. Um, that makes sense. Wayavana said, you know, I was frustrated because they had him on the night shift. Right. And he's like, I can't conduct witness interviews. At, you know, I can't <laughs> 3 go to the yeah, <laughs> Like knocking on people's doors like, hey, I'd like to interview you right. about a murder. <laughs> right. They're so, like, excuse me. Yeah, yeah so Wayavana, he seemed like a cool guy. He's like in his truck smoking a cigarette. And yeah. he's this, you know, this native guy. And um, he said what he decided to do, because he was like, what can I do? how can I, you know, perpetuate this case in a forward direction? Right. In this being that I'm on the night shift. Right. Um, so he's like at 3 a.m. after the bar closed, because I think they kind of were busy up until that time. Right. Um, he's, he went and got the file, and he just started looking at the file at nighttime. Right. You know, just pulling everything out. And he's like, basically, I just thought I was going to start from scratch with the file. Yeah. And in the case file... Wayavana found a handwritten note that had a tip written down on it that had not been followed up on. He didn't know who took the tip. He didn't know when it was taken, but he thought it had was worth looking into. Now at this point, I don't know exactly um, how long it had been, but it had at least, it was close to like a month after she had been murdered. Okay. Um, So time's starting to pass. Right. So, or no, this is actually several months after. Oh, okay. But okay. the tip, the tip was about four weeks after her murder was when the tip was called in. Oh, okay. That's where I'm getting confused. Oh, I see, I see. So, okay. a so woman. one month later, there was a tip. That, and then several months later, they're the, doing some kind of follow-up. The, like, the officer re- reviewed the file and sees this, what looks like a pretty important tip, sitting in the file had not been looked at okay which he was kind of like that's not not good so a woman named florence had called the known police department like i said about a month after sonia's murder okay and she said um that she had some really important information and so the chief 
and Officer Wayavana go to the Florence's house to interview her. Right. So Florence Habros is the woman's name, and she says the night Sonia disappeared, she and her sister were out having a smoke on the porch. Yeah. And they saw Sonia Ivanov walk by. Oh, sure. Now Florence, Florence's sister was acquainted with Sonia more so than she was. So right. she said they all kind of just waved and said yeah. hello. Like Not they didn't. You're walking by. Right. They didn't like stop and talk, but they. She definitely they, was able to say it was her. Yeah. Right. Um. And she said she noticed a vehicle, um, although she couldn't identify who was driving the vehicle, but it was obvious to her that the driver was watching Sonia. Right. And she said she sees the vehicle, like, disappear, so Sonia's, like, starting to walk further away. Right. And then she sees it, like, come, the the same vehicle come back, back into view, like, a block up the road. Right. And so, and she's watching this, because I think she thought it was a little... Odd. strange yeah. plus what else are you gonna watch right you know, there's not much going <laughs> not on much. Yeah. um so the vehicle essentially ends up intercepting sonia's path okay. like she she wouldn't have been able to really avoid the vehicle the vehicle right. um but florence was like yeah I'm, i was still close enough to hear what they were talking about and she heard sonia say to the driver something along the lines of like what's going on and she gets into the vehicle Okay, so like maybe he's offering her a ride and she's right. gonna accept it because it's known and right. Um, and she, maybe and Alaska, she, maybe cold. she knows the person. Yeah, right. right. So um, she sees the vehicle drive north. Now north happens to be in the direction of Dredge Five Road, which is where her body is eventually discovered. Okay. Um, Florence said she was very. It bothered her enough that she actually checked what time it was. Oh, sure. Now, this is something I've done before. Yeah. Ever since oh, yeah. I've been into true crime, I hear, like, a loud noise that I think... look at the clock. Like, yeah, because, yeah, like, then you can say, like, I know for sure it was at this time. Right. So, I, I get that. I feel you on that. Yeah. Um, and this is only about... So, it was 1.26 a.m. This is only about 30 minutes after Sonia and Timory had parted ways that night. Okay. Um, so that the very end of the interview, Florence ends up dropping a pretty big bombshell. She said, as the vehicle is, is driving away, I happened to see that the vehicle had a decal on it. Like a, right. you know, I guess, I don't know what else to call it, but that. And she clearly sees that the decal says Nome Police Department oh, on no. it. So... That is oh now the now at this point it's been I don't know exactly how long but it's it's been the fact that this tip wasn't followed up on earlier is not good no but was there a reason it wasn't followed up on? well hmm. I, I guess maybe maybe not so Florence being a, a native Alaskan woman right. The reason she hadn't really, like, even though she called in the tip, but she thought it was weird she hadn't heard anything about it, but she was, that's a very courageous thing to do in the first place. Like, she was taking a big risk right. in the first place. Reporting that she saw it. That it was, was a, a police, police officer. Right. Because right. that had, that she was, that had not been reported, because I don't think anyone else saw them. Right. So, Wayavana who, you know, tells the chief, like, immediately when he hears this, he's like, we can't handle this case anymore. 
Right. He said the the state troopers need to come in and take over, and he agreed. Right. Um. But it's it is a little telling that the officers having to tell the chief. Right. They made a point of of saying like Officer Wayabana felt like he had to tell the chief like we need to do the right thing. Right. And that bothered him. You know, he right. thought he should have been the lead on saying that. Right. Um, so they did call the Alaska Bureau of Investigation to take over the case completely. Right, and they had to. So a man named Eric Burroughs was the investigator assigned um, from the ABI to um, look at the case, and he said one thing that kind of made sense now that they know she was seen in the police vehicle was we were talking about how little evidence was left at the scene. Right. He said, this made me think that whoever murdered Sonia was something that they call evidence aware. Right. So somebody that knows, you know, what they're looking for, like to take her clothes, to not leave DNA. Right. um, To maybe uh, decide not to sexually assault her. Right. You know, all these things. um, But then why do it at all? I mean, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that kind of comes into focus at the end. Um, So, and he had felt that way because he had been involved in the case in the beginning. Right. And he had felt like the person was evidence aware even prior to them knowing it might be a police officer. Right. Um, So... They said, you know, a priority number one, we need to identify who was driving that police cruiser that night. Right. So he, he finds out, he knew it was a Ford Expedition. He finds out that the Nome Police Department has three Ford Expeditions. Oh, sure. None of the officers had take-home vehicles. Right. And that the night Sonia went missing, only two officers were on duty that night. Ooh. So there was uh, Officer Matt Owens. Okay. And there's Officer Stan Fescoya. Okay. Each officer was driving their own cruiser that night. Right. Um, so, going into the background of these officers, Owens, Matt Owens, had been on the Nome Police Force for about three years. Okay. Um, he was the one that when Tom, her brother-in-law, went into the police department to hang her picture on the wall, he was the one that started yelling and freaking out. He had out. the fit. Yep. Oh. About the drywall and all that. Right. Um, they also find out, so that's a little bit telling. Like, yeah. That's not a normal reaction. No. And then um, Stan Cascoya also had about three years on the force, and um, he was the officer that Timory thought was not taking her seriously. Oh. So neither of the, <laughs> not, not great for either right. of them. Like you both of them. So they arranged for both officers to go to Anchorage to be interviewed and polygraphed. Right, which makes sense. But before the two officers, because obviously like, they had to make appointments, it wasn't like the same day. It was right. a few days later right. um, that they were scheduled to go to Anchorage and they had to have to fly. But a, So a, a day before um, they were scheduled to go to Anchorage, one of the three Nome police cruisers disappeared. So shortly after midnight on September 23rd, 2003, when uh, one of the sergeants noticed that cruiser 321 
uh, you know, they are marked with a number. Yeah. So cruiser 321 wasn't there. He radioed the other on-duty officer, Matt Owens, and asked uh-huh. if he knew where it was. Right. He said he did not. Um, the sergeant, you know, looked around some more, and then he called the chief, and he said, you know, you need to send some officers to, to try to find these, uh, this missing vehicle. Well, yeah. So, as all these officers are looking for this missing police vehicle, Matt Owens, who's on duty, radios that he found the cruiser in a gravel pit that happens to be very close to where Sonia's body was found, and that um, shortly after that, they hear Owens get on the radio and, and yell, shots fired. So, of course, now all the officers are rushing to that scene, and sirens are blaring, you know, they're coming to the scene in full force. By the time the other officers arrive, there's nobody around except for the Officer Owens. Right. And he says, he's standing there, and he sees a man kind of just, like, come out of nowhere. He shoots at him twice. The man shoots at Officer Owens twice. Yeah. And then just runs back into the tundra. Yeah, okay. So, (laughs) um, back at the Um, station, they start hmm. interviewing Owens about this incident. And Owens says, you know, I'm, being shot at really frightened me to the point where I was thinking about my four-year-old son growing up without a father, and he's like, I had an epiphany that maybe being a police officer just isn't for me. (laughs) So he wants to quit being a police officer during an investigation where he's one of the two people who who would be a murderer. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the other officers... yeah, there's real bright thinker. I'm sorry. Even though I mean, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so the other officers start searching for this mystery man because at that point, you know, they have to take it serious, but they right. don't find anybody. Right. Um they also found the firearm kept in the back of the police cruiser that had gone missing um was missing. Right. And there was broken broken there's broken glass. Broken glass. <laughs> That, so someone had, like, thrown a rock through the window of the police cruiser in the front driver's right. side. Right. And on the seat of the the driver's seat of that police, missing police cruiser that they found, there was um, a envelope that was uh, signed by Sonia's killer. What? Yep. An envelope said, I don't get it. So, it's, it was a, like, like from Sonia's killer. Oh, it said from Sonia's killer, something yeah. of that nature. Okay. So I was going to say, how did they know it was her killer who had the envelope? Because they actually wrote Sonia's killer on it. Right. Okay, okay. So, basically, this, this note is trying to... Um, Sorry, I had I had actually taken a picture of the note. Oh. But it's basically um, trying to indicate that a police that the police cruiser could have been stolen the night of Sonya's murder, right? Because so, he's 
They're ba- he's basically trying to say like some some mystery man did this. Right. Who's who flew like like he slinked off into the tundra. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's what he's. Uh, so he's tr- he's he's trying to make a fake person who doesn't exist. <laughs> he's trying to make them think that it was this person and not him. So obviously it, it was him. Right. right. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, okay. we don't know that yet. No, I guess but not. Innocent till proven guilty. Yes. But I think he's feel it feels like he's giving him a lot of proof. You know? Oh, here, I have the note. Sorry. Yeah. The note says, pigs. Oh, my gosh. I hate cops. I hate every one of you. Oh. This is this is the no- actual note. Okay. Um, Sonia was just a person in the wrong place at the wrong time. I did not know her. As you can see, it was easy for me to take your pig car keys right there. It was not her fault. She thought I was a pig, and she just was a person, and I just wanted to see if I could. Every one of you should be more careful. I watch every move you make. You leave me alone, and I will leave you alone. I will also shoot you in the head if you get close. What kind of letter is that? So so he was trying to say it was this pretend, or not, maybe not pretend at this point, this person. You're ruining it, Laura. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this this person who slinked off into the tundra wrote this anti-cop note. and Okay. And he left it on the and seat. And he left it on the seat. Signed, Sonia's killer. Okay. Um, okay. He also... Put, so Sonia had like this rec, rec center ID card to okay. like use the pool. Yeah. And he put that ID card, it had Sonia's picture on it, in the envelope as like proof that he was the murderer. So basically he took a trophy, but then he was like, I, I, I can... I'm giving okay. it back. Giving it back now. Okay. Um, now, they had to investigate this as if it was actually a serious because they had to cover their bases. Well, of course. So, one thing they did find out was, unfortunately, the Gnome police vehicles were not kept very securely. Oh, okay. They would, um, like, the keys to some of them were kind of just left in the mailboxes. Oh. They would leave them running, like, in front of places. So... Like, anyone could just Yeah, really kind of. And... Like, the security was not good. Okay. Um... But even despite that, the uh, Alaska Bureau of Investigator Investigator was very skeptical of right. this guy's story, <laughs> right. of Owens' story. Right. Um, but after what they had been through with the first gentleman, Con, what was his name, Con, Connick? Koenig, yeah. Koenig. Koenig. I mean, I guess you can't. You don't know until yeah, because that the to evidence me, is in. Because <laughs> I I'm one of those people that I think circumstantial evidence can be really powerful. Right. And I I bothers me that people it's seen as less than it's always implied in if you like you know TV shows and articles and stuff they always have this kind of underlying tone as if circumstantial evidence is subpar. But I feel like. It is. I feel like you need a body. You need DNA. You but need you don't always some scientific proof. But so then you're saying if someone's a good enough criminal that they should just be able to get away with it? I don't. That's tough because you know? I still feel like they could be innocent. 
Yeah, I mean, it depends. I guess this this case was very striking, but. that that the Kunick deal. But in the end, they were able to, even though the circumstantial evidence was there, they were able to pretty easily eliminate him too. So right, right. But the scientific evidence came back; it wasn't him. You yeah. know what I'm saying? No, no, like, I know. I was, get it. Yeah, it, it definitely kind of. But you would have thought. This is him for sure. That's it. Yeah, it's the, the three tire thing was a it's little over. And this, yeah. you know, plethora of blood. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. Every, so everybody that uh, the two witnesses that saw Sonia speaking to the driver said she, it seemed like she knew him in some capacity. Right. Um, and they said, you know, that likely wouldn't be the case if some stranger had stolen the vehicle. Right. She's not going to be like, hey, how's it going to right. like, some strange guy? In a police vehicle. Hey. She wouldn't have gotten yeah. in willingly. Right. And, um, of course, Burroughs, he's the investigator, suspects this whole incident was crafted to take the heat off one or both of the on-duty officers the night of Sonia's disappearance. Right. Um, so Matt Owens and Stan Pescoya, they're still scheduled to go to Anchorage on... Um, so they're both scheduled to go to Anchorage on August 24th. Oh, sure. This incident with the police vehicle occurred on August 23rd. <laughs> so he, Not obvious. Don't be obvious about it. Um, Owens claimed he was so shaken up from being shot at that instead of getting on the plane to Anchorage, he went and saw the police therapist. So he didn't, um, he didn't get he's like, I'm, I can't, I'm not doing this. Because he was, had just been shot at. Because I've just see. been shot at. Oh, so there's an excuse, <laughs> yeah. a reason. So Pascoya sits okay. down with the Alaska Bureau of Investigation. Right. He says the night of Sonia's disappearance, it was pretty busy. He said he and Owens had a domestic violence call sure. that they both had to respond to. He said the uh, perpetrator was very aggressive. They yep. ended up having to pepper spray him. So he remembered the night pretty well. Right. He said after the incident, he um, went back to the Nome Police Department and did his paperwork till about 1.30, right. which Sonia was abducted per the witness at 1.26. Right. Pascoya's story was somewhat verifiable. You know, they can look at... I don't know that there were cameras at this time, which is kind of right. crazy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he has times writing in his reports. He could right. be lying about those right. times. But they kind of didn't think it was likely because... He, of the sequence of how... Yeah, and it, there was no... Happened. Yeah, the sequence, and there was no indication that he had, like, tried to, like, scribble anything out. Right. Or edit any of his notes. Right. As if he was like, you know, he went and killed someone and then had to go back and make it look like... Could someone do that? Well, yeah, but... But they felt like they could verify his story. Right, to the extent that they could. Yes. Right. That makes But he did kind of vouch for the other known police department officers, and I think it was in part just because you don't want to think one of your own is capable of that. something like that, yeah. So five days later, Matt Owens, finally he goes to sees the therapist or whatever, and he does end up going to Anchorage. Right. He starts going through um, his interview and talks about his shift that day, which kind of matches up with what Pescoya, the other officer, said. Right. He denies having seen or abducting Sonia. Um, 
the investigators, of course, think he's lying. Well, yeah. Um, so while Owens is being interviewed, Burroughs, who was the investigator, is checking out Matt Owens, like, in Nome. He's in Nome right. trying to find out more information about him. Right. Because at this point, Stan Pescoya seems, like, probably not him. Right. So he kind of, he finds out that, uh, Matt Owens has a reputation kind of for not following the rules. Okay. He actually requested to stay on the night shift, which is a little unusual. Well, yeah. And that he often he kid. Oh, brought know. friends to keep him company, and he would and on unauthorized ride-alongs oh. in his police cruiser. Owens had been spoken to on multiple occasions about not doing this anymore, but he continued to do so. Okay. Um, Burroughs finds out that Owens had a reputation for picking up women. And he okay. used his, he, he says, this is a quote, he used his police cruiser like a dating app. Oh. Um, so it was reported that he was having sex with women in his police cruiser while on duty. But by all accounts, this was consensual. Okay. Um, many of these women said Owens would follow them in his patrol car while they were walking and drive ahead of them to cut them off. Ah, uh, okay. Um... Oh, they also find out that Owens and Sonia were not complete strangers because Sonia worked the night shift at the hospital. Oh, so he, okay. So he, if she, if like a patient was being admitted that right. had been arrested, he right. would see Sonia like at the admitting desk. Right. So they if were definitely um, familiar with each other to some extent. Right. But of course, Owens really downplayed it, made it seem like he barely knew her. And he made it seem like, he's like, yeah, I do give people rides in my vehicle, but he's like, it's both male and female. It's, you know, just friends of mine. He's like, it's never inappropriate. Oh. He denies um, ever having sex with anyone on duty. Oh. So they complete the polygraphs. Stan Pescoya passes, no problem. Oh, yeah. And sense. Owens failed miserably. Okay, yep. So after they inform Matt Owens about the polygraph, his reaction was, oh, shit. So they Though were, still not admissible in court. They're not, but... Um, but but they're, they're saying, starting they, to we give know more, you're lying yeah. because this is, you know... So they end up reading Matt Owens' his rights at that point right. once they find, the, find out the result, and he's continuing to deny any involvement. Right. Um, he just, you know, Matt Owens kept saying like he just couldn't wrap his head around the connection between him having it, women get into his vehicle and Sonya's murder right. he kept asking questions like quote why is my sex life part of this investigation or whatever end oh. quote um, Owens was then confronted you can't have sex at work like that you just can't <laughs> you can't no dang you cannot I've been doing I mean, it all wrong why. yeah I know jeez what a concept. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you cannot be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Owens then c was confronted about the staging of the police vehicle 321 right. to implicate that the vehicle was stolen and, and writing the note and everything. And um, they just basically said, like, your story on that whole incident is very unbelievable. Right. But at that point, they still could not um, file charges. Right. There they isn't didn't, enough no, evidence. There's no evidence. 
Um, so they did put him on, uh, Matt Owens on administrative leave. Oh, well, yeah. His wife filed for divorce. Uh, and yeah. a messy, a messy custody battle ensued over his four-year-old son. He starts living in a friend's spare bedroom. Okay. Um, he's still the prime and suspect. only suspect. Right. Um, so they start re-interviewing people and... Right. One of the people they re-interview was Owen's soon-to-be ex-wife. Right. So she states on August 12th, which is the day of uh, the homicide, or the night of the homicide, Owens called her and said that they were searching for a missing girl and that it was not looking good. She said, I'm positive that it was the date because it happened to be Matt Owen's birthday. So he oh. actually ended up killing her on his own birthday. On his own birthday. Um, if he did it. So his ex-wife said this was around 4.30 a.m. Now here's the thing. Sonia had not even been reported missing yet. Right. So he's telling her about a missing girl. And yeah, she hasn't, they didn't report her right away. Right. So that is obviously new evidence. Right. Um... So they learned that Owens had plans to possibly flee so they ended up um after they got that new information from his ex-wife who was willing to testify about that um they arrested him on october 25th 2003 finally um sonia's family in court during the arraignment were met with extreme hostility by from who because of the sheer fact that Matt Owens was a police officer, there were a lot of people that supported him no matter what. And this is something I just real quick want to talk about. So when you look at like the police issues going on right. nowadays, right. I cannot stand, you know, you see these people with these signs in their yard that say, I support the police and the thin, the well, blue yeah. line and all that. And I get that to an extent, right. but it's it, this whole like if you support the police you support all the police like no, you even support yeah. racist police officers that abuse their power right and that no. uh aren't appropriate and they don't do their job like right. to me supporting like i i think the vast majority of police officers are great right they i'm sure that that's they, how I, I support good police right and and so this whole like I do not support it, bad police like I, but that <laughs> plays oh, yeah. into this particularly right. because there's pretty good evidence that he did this and he was a bad police and he was yeah. a, a scumbag but yet right. you've got a lot of people not only supporting him but they're being hostile towards the victim's right. family which is just and that type of thing is what is so hard to wrap my brain around it's like right. this whole like i support the police it's like but it, it's not that simple like no. there's a gray area that it's right. not black and white. Like, you either support the police or you don't. You don't. Right, exactly. It's not that cut and dry. And right. I that bothers me so badly. I mean, I, and I view it the same as I do with any people. I support good people. I don't support bad Regardless people. Regardless of their occupation. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so, unfortunately, Owens had a ton of support. Um, mostly members of his mostly white church oh. spoke up on his behalf. Um, of course, the, the native people in Alaska were not shocked by this reaction, unfortunately. Right. Um, 
he was fired. Owens was fired two days oh. after his arrest. Yeah. So after he was finally in custody, right. a ton of women came forward and said, basically, Owens was doing the exact opposite of his duty to protect. Right. Meaning, um, so initially, you know, the women that came forward said it was voluntary sex. Right. After he was arrested and they knew he couldn't hurt them. Right. They were com- women were coming forward saying it was not voluntary. Oh, right. And that they were being sexually assaulted and raped by oh. Owens. Yeah. Um, so one woman reported that after Matt Owens had arrested her, um, he raped her. And he said that verbatim said to her, no one will believe you because I'm a white police officer and you're an Alaska Native woman. So, and he was kind of right, unfortunately. Right. Because, um... That's the... Some, now listen to this. Some of these women had reported their assaults to the Nome Police Department with nothing happening. It didn't get investigated. I really hope this helped change that police department. We'll get into that. We're almost there. Um... Unfortunately, you know, they still didn't really have much forensic evidence. Right. There were no prints on the gun. Um, they were having trouble connecting, um, you know, there was no, he had taken the clothes so that his DNA wasn't in there, you know, on the body or anywhere around. Right. So they were a little concerned about getting a conviction. Well, yeah. So they did find out that, um... There's this place called Coffee Creek, and okay. somebody had seen Matt Owens in that area. Sure. It's about 70 miles north of Nome. Okay. And he was just known to go there in general. Sure. And someone had seen him burning stuff there. Oh. Um, so they go there. And actually, the person reported he was burning gloves that appeared to be new. Oh. So it's like, why are you why burning are you, you brand new stuff? Yeah. So they go there, and they find this fire pit... And in the fire pit, they find, like, an eyelet to a shoe, which is, like, where you lace the shoe. And it had the Skecher logo on it. And Sonia was wearing Skechers the night she was murdered. So that is evidentiary. And there was, like, a metal part from a bra in there. Okay. And then there was something that said Tilt, which was the brand of jeans Sonia was known to wear. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's evidence. So a key was found in the burn pit as well and it happened to be a key to matt owens uncle's p.o box oh um and they ended up finding so that's a connection to matt owens right to the fire right and then to her with her shoes and her exactly so um what they ended up finding, because the one thing they could never really figure out was what gun he had used. Right. Because they couldn't really figure that out. What they ended up finding out is that it likely, he took it from the evidence room, from like another oh, homicide. Sure. Okay, so they think he, t- he took this uh, the gun from the evidence room which would make sense because anybody can basically just go in the evidence room and take stuff and put it back right and they ended up finding a jennings 22 in the evidence room that that could have been the murder weapon but they weren't you know not necessarily definitively but that was like as good as it was gonna get right um and that scenario makes sense 
They end up figuring out that this whole mismatched tires thing was completely unrelated to the case. Oh. Somebody had just gone through there with that vehicle, and oh, it had nothing sure. to do with anything. Right. Um, but, and then event, Owens actually ended up getting bail, and he had a supervised oh. release. Um, he had a very aggressive defense attorney, so his trial began on January 18th, 2005. Um prosecution put on nearly 70 witnesses they called his ex-wife they talked about the 321 vehicle how he was unaccounted for over five hours of his shift they put on the florence hasbro who was the witness um all the physical evidence from coffee creek see there was physical evidence yeah eventually after they found the burn pit and then um, the defense called a witness who said he saw sonya speeding past him in a blue pickup like a day after she was supposedly missing, but he wasn't very credible. Right. I think that he just kind of came out of nowhere. Right. They also had to, you know, admit that the gun found in the evidence room um, is possibly was not the murder weapon, even though it was likely that it was. Right. Um. So they tried to say his ex-wife had the date wrong in terms of. Her hearing about a missing girl but the f white the ex-wife was like no i know well, for a fact because yeah. it was his birthday and that's something right um i would have remembered right they also found out that matt owens had looked up sonya in like the police database oh, in the past that's interesting and he says he was just checking to see if she was of legal drinking age which i think in alaska at that time it was 18 oh, okay and um and she was over 18. And so he, yeah. that was his claim. Who knows that that's probably not true, but right. they have no way to really prove prove that yeah. or not. Yeah. Um, and then he says that, you know, they tried to say that Byron Redburn was the killer, who was the other police officer right. that responded to the scene because he was mad that Owens was having an affair with his daughter, oh. which there's no evidence that Redburn was involved and they also tried to throw Kunick under the bus even though he had been even, cleared even though he's totally clear so they actually the first trial the jury deadlocked wow. and it was a mistrial so the family of course was heartbroken they ended up Gosh, having a yeah. second trial seven months later and they did a change of venue because it was right. such a small area right um so a city called Consibu, which is above okay. the arctic circle wow um, so after the prosecution had rested their case in that second trial, yeah. they actually had some new evidence come to light. Um, Boyavana, the police officer that initially, and the native officer that investigated that tip initially, yeah. was chatting with his neighbor, yeah. and essentially they had a conversation, and, and he had brought up that... Um, yeah, whatever happened about, you know, Charlotte, who had rented a room to Owens, he's like, I had heard that she uh, saw Sonia's gym card in his belongings while he was staying with her. Oh. And Boy Ivana's like, I never heard anything about that. So, right. of course, um, that would be really big because it right. connects Owens to having that card, which was involved in that incident with the vehicle. Right inside the envelope and all that yes um 
so Charlotte was a friend of the Owens family, and they were right. kind of worried she wouldn't cooperate. Right. So they actually had, like, a uh, undercover person call someone that Charlotte knew and trusted, someone named Dealey Blackshear. Right. They had him call Charlotte and say something to the effect of, like, well, I ran my big mouth and I told the police about you seeing Sonia's card to kind of see if she would admit it. Right. And Charlotte said, well, I thought I saw in the newspaper that the cops already had the ID. Otherwise, I was planning on, you know, calling that in and telling them that I had seen it. Because right. when they got the ID from the envelope, right, she was like, well, they already have it. Right. Not really put, like, connecting, connecting the dots. Connecting it, yeah. So the judge allowed Charlotte to testify even though the prosecution had already rested their case. Right. Once she got on the stand, she denied everything because <gasps> she was his friend. Right. However, they had the recording of her right. talking to Dealey Blackshear about right. it, so they just so played. So she completely did a 180 on oh. them. Yep. But they had the tape, taped right. conversation. Right. So that second trial, there was a uh, guilty verdict for first-degree murder. Well, that's... Thank goodness. And the theory on the case is Owens likely targeted Sonia for sex. Right. Or he, you know, he wanted to sleep with her. Right. Propositioned her after she got in the vehicle. She's like, uh-uh. She refused. Maybe even threatened to tell. She was very headstrong. Right. Like, one of those people that's like, Nope. I don't yeah. give a crap. Right. And unfortunately, he was not the type of person that took rejection well. Right. I don't think by I think he was used to getting, getting native women, way. especially yep. to sleep with him, because mm -hmm. they were probably scared of him. Right. Being a police officer, he was used to having that power. Right. And um, getting rejected by especially a native woman. Right. He was like, nope, nope, not happening. Um, so. They have since gotten a new police chief. Of course, this was you oh, know good. a long time ago. Yes. But the police chief now, even the current one, said you know he's still dealing with some mistrust related to that right homicide, even though it was back in 2003. 2003. Yeah. They have 460 open sexual assault cases in Nome, mostly against Alaska Native American women. And there's so, only 3,800 people. Isn't that abs like that's absurd? Oh um, my gosh. So now they have someone working on just those cases and then a vis victim's advocate. And they oh. have hired more native police officers. Good. So they are working on their police force. That's yeah, one good working. thing okay. that's come out of this. Yep. Yep. But I think this case really gets to the heart but of... But I'm sorry, it's 20 years later. It should be right. done. Like and he, he started in like 2018. So it's not wow. that long ago. Jeez. So, but if you think of this as like... This type of thing is right. outrageous as it sounds. Right. It might not be like a police officer or a person of power. It doesn't even have to be a police officer is like right. murdering people, but they're sexual like people. I'm not saying police officers necessarily. Right. There probably are some, but do you want? I there are so many people in positions of power that take advantage of Native American women. Right. They do in that way. Right. And that's. Like, it's a very complicated problem, but it has a lot to do with with that and the fact that these cases are not being prosecuted. Right. And, you know, so... Right. 
it's one of those things you feel powerless. Like, what can you do? But I think obviously when it comes to anything, awareness is right. Like the key. first step. Right. Like you can't solve a problem if you don't know it's a problem. And for the record, yes, I do think some cases circumstantial evidence is all you'll ever have. But I think it has to be extremely, incredibly good circumstantial evidence. You can't just have a bunch of things. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, like like that just, case with like we were just talking about with the good. tires and the blood. Right. Like that'd be a no go because But if there were like the ten other things that. though, like right. besides that right. that fit. To me it the thing with circumstantial evidence is like you can take one thing mm. by itself and it's not that compelling. Right. But when you combine it with multiple other pieces right it can be very compelling it can it can but i still i feel like there has to be at least at least something else like the physical evidence yeah like the circumstantial combined with something else that is somewhat the objective objective yeah yes somewhat somewhat scientific somewhat able to be tested and I, I yeah, and I agree with that. But what what I have a hard time with is like there are criminals right. that, for whatever reason, or scenes that are not handled appropriately, where unfortunately they don't have that always. And and it's like, does that mean that that person because they're smart enough that they should get away with it? Right. That's right. what's hard to right. wrap to like. It, that it is hard, but at the same time, you cannot have innocent people sitting Right, in and prison. I agree. Like, somebody said on another podcast I was listening to, like, it's better to have, you know, a hundred guilty people walking the streets than having one innocent person in prison. Right. Or, right. you know, yeah. something to that effect. Right, so. right. But anyways, that's that's our case for this week. Yes. And we will be back at some point. Yeah. It's, yes. We lead very busy lives. If yes. if thousands of people start listening to this, then we could make it our full-time job. There we go. That would be fantastic. We would come out with episodes constantly. <laughs> yes, so every day. So, you know, tell a friend. Phone a friend. <laughs> Phone <Yep>. a friend. <laughs> Say you want to listen to some bleak stories? Yes. <laughs> Here are a few. Yes. <laughs> I think this is our this is episode Eight, 10 maybe ten. 9 or 10 Ooh. so you know we're getting there yep <laughs> thank you so much yep. friends we will see you soonish <laughs> bye so bye